Welcome to the Mentis Podcast. Today we have Vanessa Pinoza with Executive Properties Capital. Thank you for coming on today. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I certainly am eager to hear about how real estate is going over the border uh, to our north. And uh, you have a very uh, rich background, I guess, with starting in-house property management for a company that has over 400 units. Uh, definitely looking forward to our conversation. And uh, I guess let's kick it off with uh, let's kick it off with some of the today's events. How are you guys pivoting to, you know, kind of continue growing while we have these uh, rising interest rates? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great first question. So we find that a lot of investors nowadays, if they're on the more novice side of things, and they're definitely a little more hesitant to kind of jump in and get their feet wet, especially with where the market is right now. But when we're dealing with a little more experienced investors that have maybe one or two or three, however many properties in their portfolio already, they're more so eager to take advantage of this market, which works out absolutely amazing for us because obviously we purchase everything in joint venture partnerships. So it's allowed us to be able to focus more on the commercial acquisitions in the multifamily space as opposed to the residential and the smaller side. So it's actually worked in our favor, but it's definitely caused a bit of concern for some people that we deal with for sure. So you're saying it's in your favor because you're you're not fighting as many comp like there's not as much competition to find properties now. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. I think now there's a lot of people who would rather wait. So we're getting a lot of people that are on the sidelines that are like, I'd rather wait until you know just kind of see how the market plays out. But obviously, those people that are a bit more experienced are kind of saying, well, I don't think anything's going to change for the foreseeable future, at least maybe until the end of the year, early 2024. So they're like, I'd rather take advantage of this, all these off-market deals and jump right in and, you know, get started. Like, like what are you buying that, you know, is your typical acquisition? So we're buying anything that has value add and that lift value to it. So we're looking to force that appreciation, obviously quite drastically and a short period of time, depending on the size of the acquisition. So everything we purchase is focused on using the Burr strategy to complete that project and to turn it around and make it a more modern and livable space for younger professionals. Um, in the multifamily space, we're both in the residential side as well as the commercial side. So like I mentioned, we're looking to get more into the commercial side and more focus our acquisitions on the larger apartment buildings. But that being said, we are still working with investors who don't have access to as much capital, but they're still looking to invest just maybe in a smaller multifamily building, like anywhere from three to five units. Okay. So you guys are doing a lot of these three to five unit acquisitions. You guys are doing, you know, like almost like a gut rehab in some cases, or just uh, maybe, you know, creating an extra unit in a building or whatever it might be. And, you, and it's kind of the rinse and repeat all throughout Ontario. Exactly. Pretty much. A lot of our investments are focused in the West End. So we're looking at Hamilton, St. Catharines, Niagara region for those who may be familiar with it. Okay. And then at what point did you guys say, all right, let's bring the property management in-house. And if you guys have a lot of three, four, five, 10 unit properties, you clearly have properties all over, uh, which is not uh, as is easy to manage. To, I mean, you have to have, you must mm -hmm. have trucks on the road. You must have maintenance techs, uh, you know, stopping at different properties. How did you get all of those systems in place uh you know is there like a central location where tenants can log in and give a uh, a maintenance request or put a ticket in you know we'll love to hear more about how that operation is is running and, and some of the you know best practices that you've seen 
Yeah, for sure. So we we initially started it because we found with outsourcing that that level of service when you're building a reputation not only for your company but also with the people that are working with you in this present moment and a lot of times they were experiencing a level of service that wasn't really up to par with what they thought they were going to achieve and what they thought tenants level of satisfaction would be and so after kind of having numerous conversations with our partners it kind of it made sense to us that obviously if we wanted to continue to have that repeat business and get referrals and continue to expand our business we had to make that that change and it was definitely difficult at the onset for sure but I think with our experience in the multifamily space and having so many properties, like you said, that are all very close to one another and all very similar in size, it it made it quite easy to figure out like, okay, these are the essentials that we need. These are the typical service calls that we get. These properties are a little more troublesome and kind of work your way in and around there. And I think practice really makes perfect. And obviously having having a capable team is so important and that's made all the difference for us. So yes, we do have an in-house maintenance department. We have in-house property managers, leasing agents and bookkeepers. So we tried to cover the whole thing as best as we possibly could. And then really only outsource to third-party vendors for things that our team is incapable of doing. So a little larger service calls, um, cleaning and stuff like that to really achieve that level of professionalism that our partners are looking for. That makes sense. So how many people are on that team? I mean, obviously, that, that's got to be the number one uh, piece to making it run smooth. How many people do you have? And, and you know, kind of what is your role in, in leading those folks? Right now, we're just around 10 to 12 people. So we're currently actually hiring more people and looking to expand. Um, and really, those decisions on expansion and adding new members to our team really come from being able to analyze the level of service. And if there's a gap that we're seeing, that tenants are seeing, and that our partners are seeing, if we can kind of make sure that that profitability and productivity is key and matching one another, then we're looking to expand that. Um, and then my role in that is just being able to oversee it and obviously having that experience and that background in property management and knowing all of our properties like the back of my hand, just being able to guide those people into their roles and kind of setting the expectation and the standard for both our tenants and what kind of communication we want to have with them whether that be our response time, what types of service calls we're going to outsource, their wait times, all that kind of stuff. And then in terms of our partners, what kind of reports they can expect to receive, who can be answering certain questions and having that level of confidence across all of our staff has been crucial for us because obviously the people that we're dealing with are usually have a little bit higher net worth or more professional individuals. So they want to ensure that their property is being taken care of as best as it, it possibly can. So it sounds like you're actually giving some of like some direct reporting from your property management to investors where a lot of people might or maybe and maybe since it's all in-house you kind of are taking on that asset management role as well as that property management role so are you having property management answer questions directly to investors or do you guys kind of hone everything together with a you know maybe an asset manager who is in, in charge of investor relations it depends on the level of severity of the question or the information that they're looking for. So I, to answer your previous question, we do have a software that we use that's applicable and user-friendly for both our tenants and our partners, and then obviously our internal team. It's a great software. Um, it's called Buildium, and I think it's actually based in the States. So uh, you may or may not have heard of it, but it's a great system, and it's a great software that's able to give us monthly reports that allows 
our investors to see which units are vacant, which units are tenanted, and the cash flow that their property is producing. So if they have additional questions beyond that, it typically depends, like I said, on the level of severity. If it's something that's pretty easy to answer, then we're totally comfortable to have our property manager do it. We look for people that that are well-versed in the industry and that have that maturity and experience level to be able to communicate with the types of partners that we have. And if it's something a bit more complicated, then typically I would be responsible for answering that question, jumping on a call, whatever it may be to make sure that they feel comfortable and satisfied. Okay, so it sounds like you have really good folks. I mean, if they're even able to talk to investors, what are you doing to set those guys up so that they can scale into some of these larger properties that you had mentioned that you're looking to purchase? Yeah, absolutely. We're looking to give them that that training and that background. And I think shadowing is really the best way to do that. So we want our company to be pretty much running itself as much as it possibly can. But at the same time, we are a family run business. So we do still want to have our hands on that to ensure our, our, to our investors that we are still involved, whether it's been, you know, one year, two year, five years since they purchased that property. And being able to have our team shadow us and get super familiar and comfortable with the smaller types of acquisitions that we have in our portfolio and then start moving on to, okay, I think we can, you know, purchase this 35, 45 unit apartment building. And we have that back end team that's going to be able to support that on, on both ends. Okay. And then let's talk about, I guess, the, 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 the heavy value add aspect of your your business. Are you guys partnering with construction? Do you have in-house construction management? What are you guys doing to kind of handle that rather large lift if you have multiple properties spread out over, over the city? Yeah, absolutely. So about two to three years ago, we made the decision to bring our construction in-house. Um, obviously, all aspects of the burr are just as equally important, but I think some may argue and we would probably be ones to lean more to say that construction is one of the most, if not the most crucial step in the burr. Um, I mean, if that, if that goes sideways in terms of timelines, budgets, the contractors that you're using, disappearing in the middle of the night, it can have a huge impact, not only on your refinance, but also on, on customer satisfaction and your reputation. So being able to bring that in-house and having our own team of in-house employees um, as well as subcontractors that are working specifically for us and prioritize our projects has allowed us to continue to be able to partner with people and build that relationship and trust with them and give them that peace of mind that everything is in-house. We have, like I said, our hands on everything and we have a very good idea of what's what's going on in their project. Okay, so everything's you know under your direction. Let's talk about the fee structure. How do you guys you know, get compensated for doing that while keeping it fair to investors? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So everything we purchase is in a joint venture partnership. So typically, depending on the size of the acquisition and how many partners are on the other end of it, we're typically looking at a 50-50 split, um, which some people kind of turn their nose up at and don't really understand it. Um, but some people obviously just completely get it from the get-go because essentially the experience that we want to provide is like a Costco. And we want you to come in and you have everything taken care of under one roof and nothing changes in your life because we're taking care of it. And that's our job. That's our sweat equity. And that's how we put our skin in the game, if you want to call it that. Okay. So it's a, so a new investor comes to you, they're putting up 100% of the capital. Correct. Then you're taking 50% of the property. They're taking 50% of the property. Correct. And then are you getting compensated for property management as a separate fee? Yes. 
Yes. What, so yeah. What, is, what does that fee look like? It depends on the size of the acquisition. So right now for our smaller acquisitions, we're doing a 7% management fee. And for the larger commercial size buildings, we're doing a 5% fee. Okay. And then what about on the construction management side? On the construction side, there is a markup that goes into everything that we do as well. And and the way that we kind of justify these markups is saying like, obviously we have people to pay. Obviously I mentioned there's a 10 to 12 people on the property management side. And there's also staff that we have on the construction side of things as well. So that that profit and that markup is going towards, you know, keeping the lights on and keeping our team happy and making sure that we consistently have good people working on their jobs. Oh, I get it. The fees are actually really necessary. I mean, that you if For you sure. want people to pay attention and you really want the best service, you, you have to pay people. And, uh, you know, I, I just never heard the structure where you, you know, kind of do 50-50 and then, um, and then you have you know, additional fees. I, I think it's, you know, it works really well for the, for what you guys are, are focused on as you, uh, as you go and look for new properties, how, like, how is that going to change? Are you going to continue to do the same 50, 50 split? Or are you uh, looking for new investors? Like, how do you guys, you know, plan on scaling that? It depends on the size of the acquisition. So, so going forward, obviously, like I said, and being able to focus on the more commercial and the larger buildings, there are investors that are looking to take a bigger piece of ownership for themselves, whether that's a 60-40 split or 70-30, whatever it may be. And there's terms that can definitely be negotiated on that. So it's not always a strict 50-50 split, it, depending on what the investors bring to the table in terms of capital um, and the size of the building that we're able to purchase with them. So being able to negotiate that ownership structure has allowed us to be able to continue to scale because we're still keeping our promise. And regardless of our share of the equity that we're taking in that property, we're still performing all of our duties the exact same way we would, even if it was 50-50. So it's allowed us to be able to build relationships with people that have access to higher amounts of capital that are comfortable at the end of the day with what their, what their stake is in the property. And then if they have above a 50% stake, or even if they have an exactly 50% stake, what kind of agreements are you striking with these individuals? Are they going on the loan? Are they limited partners? Like, are you making sure that you have the full, uh, you know, full say of what's happening? How, how does that, how does that work? Who, who gets the cash call if there's a cost overrun, you know, all those little nuances? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And one that we get all the time, because obviously there's a lot of intricacies when it comes to having a partnership like this and structuring it this way. So with every property we have, we have what's called in our terms, a joint venture trust agreement. So it's done up by our lawyer, it's reviewed by theirs, and it kind of covers everything that you said in terms of cash calls, how you would split, you know, if you were to sell the property, the proceeds, how that's being split. If someone, you know, this is obviously a very extreme example, but if someone was to pass away during the ownership of the property, what's going to happen to it. So we cover everything out in that document. It's all written up. It's all legal. And again, it just allows them to feel comfortable. Like it's not just a verbal handshake sort of thing. Um, but to touch on the cash call point specifically after the point of refinance. So after we, you know, refinance the building, whether that's eight, 12, you know, 16 months down the line, um, we do split everything based on ownership. Um, so if it's 50, 50 and there's a cash call, we're splitting that cash call 50, 50. Um, so yeah. Okay. So it sounds like once you get through construction, it, it really just goes to a very standard, simple ownership. And then yeah. there's the normal fees for paying for property management and, uh, and, and I guess any construction that would need to be done at that time. And then, and exactly. how long are you, how long are you holding those? 
We ask for a minimum of a five-year hold in our joint venture agreements, um, which typically we rarely have people that want to get out of that early. But again, like if there's financial hardship, which is affecting so many people right now, regardless of where you live, um, there is definitely ways to get out of it. And at the end of the day, yes, we ask for a five-year hold, but if people do need to get out early for whatever the reason may be, then we're totally understanding of that. But oftentimes we hold it for longer than the five-year point because obviously we're both in real estate. So we both know that, you know, that appreciation is just going to continue to go up and up and up as years go on. So it usually doesn't make sense to sell. And if you do have to get out, you know, since it's not a liquid investment and sometimes selling before you should could actually hinder the project. What are you guys offering your investors? Is it just, hey, we'll we'll try our best or uh, are you guys saying you'll buy their their piece out at a certain uh, percent of discount? Are you going to get it appraised? Like what, what do you guys do to as that mechanism? Yeah, absolutely. So we do give them options. If we're not in a position to be able to buy them out or financially wouldn't make sense for our company, then we will obviously go through the appraisal process, get it on the open market and proceed with it together. But on the alternative, there is options where if they're comfortable with it, if we have an investor in our sphere that would maybe want to purchase their share and come in with that on us and continue to build their portfolio, then we do have options like that. And then, like you said, if we were to purchase the acquisition outright and own it hundred percent ourselves, financially, if that makes sense, then that is an option for us as well. Okay. Well, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've seen certainly people are getting spooked and uh, you know, I just try to, I, from, you know, from our seat, we try to remind people it, it's an illiquid investment and it's actually protecting everybody. Uh, you know, it's like, sometimes you don't like, you don't want to sell your stocks when they go down. You don't want to sell your real estate when it goes down either. And the best part is that you have some cash flow along the way to kind of get us over these, uh, you know, these, these down periods in the, in the economies. Uh, as far as, I guess, as far as your, like your growth is concerned, uh, you mentioned before we jumped on the call that you might be trying to come into the states down the road. Why not just become, you know, uh, you know, a big fish in your big pond of Ontario, or you know, what's the appeal of of coming into the states? I think more so just to diversify our portfolio and potentially attract a different network of investors. Obviously, short-term rentals and Airbnbs in the States, you know, depending on the state that you're in, are super, super popular right now. And a lot of the presentations that we're seeing and a lot of, you know, people that are in our market center are doing these presentations and marketing themselves like, hey, come invest with us in the States. Like, why and how can Canadians invest in the States? That's a huge topic of conversation right now in Ontario. So just to be a part of that conversation and to see what the returns would look like and to see how we can kind of continue to diversify our portfolio and add different types of investments. Um, yeah, within, within the real estate that we own. Um, right now we are looking to expand, you know, outside of Hamilton and look at those other regions, like I mentioned, like Niagara, Welland, St. Catharines and areas like that. And I think once we can build our portfolio there to have certain, you know, divisions within our company, then, definitely would make sense to start looking in the States as well. Okay. So why is it such a big conversation? You seem to, it seemed like that was, I mean, it really sounds like it is top of mind right now. Why, why is that such a big conversation right now? I think because people don't see the value in having, there's not a lot of advantageous market centers for doing the short-term rentals here in Ontario. You can definitely make it work in, you know, different wine countries and stuff like that. But I think the tourism aspect in a lot of states 
yes, um, makes people find it a bit more attractive. And I think they may feel like they have better returns if they were to expand out there to Miami or Arizona um, is typically where we're seeing people go now. Um, and it's just, it just seems to be a little bit more advantageous if you cross the border. And I think that's attracting a lot of people and to have that short-term rental and short-term investment, I think for a lot of people who are scared right now would make them feel a little bit more safe as opposed to getting into the crazy interest rates here and making that long-term commitment. Understood. Well, I was just curious. It's a, you know, everybody has a different, different strategy and, you know, real estate in, in different countries is certainly a great way to diversify, uh, especially over the long term. And, you know, I, I guess I, I was reading your bio and I, I, not to pivot it too much here, but I, I, you know, I, I saw that you're really focused on making connections with other women in real estate. And it, there's no question that real estate is a heavily male dominated industry. And how are you paving your way and finding your path and uh, you know, connecting with other women to, you know, really continue to encourage more, uh, you know, more girls to look at, at coming into the industry. Yeah, that, that was quite the pivot. Um, I think that's so important. And obviously being a little bit younger woman in the industry as well, it's been tough for me to find other women to relate to. And there's just not a lot of those voices out there. So just being able to come on and tell our story or tell my story and be a more relatable figure and kind of approach the situation in a way where it's not impossible you just have to kind of you have to fight for it a little bit absolutely with being a male dominated industry but that being said I don't think women in the industry are any less capable I think they just kind of need to find that that confidence in themselves to say okay I can do this and just because I, I am a woman doesn't mean I'm anything less than that and doesn't mean that you know you're not capable of having the same conversations in a room full of people as a man would be not at all and it I'm curious, like, like my niece is, you know, probably not even considering real estate or, you know, getting into this. It's just not something that like is talked about, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and if people say get into real estate, they sometimes just think real estate agent. And, you know, yes. how, do, how do you start shaping it earlier, you know, in like showing people that it's a real option to be on the investor side and, and how do you, you know, like, are, are any of your friends like excited about real estate or is it just, you're kind of off on your own in that regard? I think I'm a little bit off on my own in that regard. And honestly, I think it's because a lot of younger women feel like there's not enough resources available. And I can totally agree with that. When I was a little bit younger, I didn't know all the different sides that there was to the industry. Like we've covered so many, whether it's being an investor, an agent, a property manager, uh, construction, like there's so many different areas that you can focus on. And that was something that was really appealing to me because you can kind of get your footing in each one. And, you know, we obviously haven't even listed them all. And then you can see which one you like the best. And obviously it's a very, it opens up doors for a lot of other opportunities, whether that's, you know, being able to fund different passion projects you have via a real estate investment, whether that be just gaining knowledge and, you know, feeling more comfortable in financing and learning about mortgages and all that kind of stuff. So I think the more resources that are available and the more conversations that are had about it, the more comfortable other women, young or old, would feel. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And, you know, I think the industry will continue to evolve. And, you know, I I certainly think that any, you know, I think any type of real estate is a great uh, path for people to pursue, but certainly would love to see more uh, getting in on the uh, the investment and the the ownership side and you know the kind of that heavy finance 
uh, industry. I know that doesn't, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like the typical um, job for people, but I still think anybody, male or female, really, I think would be better served to learn about it younger in their careers and and see it as an as an option. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah. So any mentors or books that you you read or uh, or look up to that kind of like got you into the industry? That's a good question. Um, so obviously the the CEO of our company is my father. So I would say that he's definitely my biggest mentor and role model in this space, being able to watch him grow in the industry. And when he first started investing um, over a decade ago, he was a police officer at the time. So watching him multitask those two those two jobs, if you want to call them that, and then being able to retire early and really focus on this and turn this into a full-time business and scale it is really admirable. Obviously, being able to time management and having a young family and you know striving for all these different things is is huge. Um, in terms of books, I prefer more motivational books as opposed to just general um, real estate books. That's what really helped me at the start, and especially obviously, like I said, being young, being a woman, I really wanted to be motivated and kind of have a grasp on what I was getting into. Um, so anything by Tim Grover, I really like, as cliche as that may sound. Um, his two books, Winning and Relentless, are probably my favorites right now. Um, and then I really like the book, Never Split the Difference. I don't remember who that's by, but that was a really great one that can relate. But obviously, especially real estate, when you're negotiating deals and contracts and whatnot. I think that's uh, Chris Voss. Um, yes, yeah. it is. Great book. Great book. Um, it, certainly for anybody getting into any type of business, never split the difference. For sure. Phenomenal negotiation book. Um, but those are, yeah, those are uh, great reads and keeping the mindset right is, it, it's almost as important as anything. You know, uh, you can learn the know-how from experience, but you just got to have the positive mindset to keep moving forward and, uh, you know, continuing to grow your company. So anything else that we uh, we missed today? Anything I don't else think looking so. Anything forward to in your company? I think we covered a lot of things, to be honest with you, you know, being a woman, having in-house property management and construction, dealing with interest rates. I think we covered a lot of great topics. So this was this was a really great conversation and I, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you for coming on. We'll certainly stay in touch and look forward to watching you grow and hopefully we'll get to connect with you again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much.